episode of Progress, Potential, and Possibilities, discussions with fascinating people designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome, everybody, again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really fascinating guest today who is uh, helping to create a better tomorrow for all of us. Um, as a little background to today's show, as many people are aware, there have been uh, a variety of folks out there in recent years, people with names like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson that have been doing really cool things with rocket ships and rocket planes and so forth, aiming to get uh, us uh, up into low Earth orbits and, and back to the moon and eventually one day to Mars. Uh, but our guest today is a, a really amazing thought leader who is working on research, which ultimately aims to get us much, much farther uh, at speeds, uh, many organi- uh, you know, orders of magnitude beyond uh, where current technologies can take us. Uh, we have the honor of being joined by uh, Dr. Harold Sonny White, uh, Director of Advanced Research and Development at the Limitless Space Institute, located in Houston, Texas. Uh, Dr. White has uh, over 25 years of experience working in the aerospace industry with uh, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, as well as NASA, uh, and his current role at the Limitless Space Institute. He leads all R&D work uh, and established priorities for investigation and expenditures uh, for their research programs. Uh, Dr. White obtains grants and other resources to support their R&D efforts, uh, markets, the Limitless Space Institute to major benefactors to increase their resources and the related R&D efforts and ultimately arranges and conducts events, uh, ensuring that uh, appropriately related well-known individuals involved with the programs. Uh, Dr. White holds his PhD in physics from Rice University, uh, master's in mechanical engineering from Wichita State University, bachelor's mechanical engineering, University of South Alabama. And Dr. White has been recognized many times over uh, the span of his career for uh, not just an excellent work ethic, uh, exceptional technical skills, but his ability as a project manager and dedicated ultimately to the pursuit of human space flight. Uh, he was awarded the NASA Medal for Excellence and Achievement by the administrator for his role in getting the uh, thermal protection system robotic inspection tools built, delivered and certified to support the uh, STS-114 space shuttle mission. He was awarded the Silver Snoopy Award by the crew office for his actions and discovery and disposition of critical damage to the robotic arm prior to STS-121 uh, and received uh, the NASA Space Flight Awareness Honoree Award STS-122 mission, uh, one of the highest and most prestigious uh, awards available to employees of NASA. Uh, he was also awarded the NASA Exceptional Engineer Achievement Medal for his role in exploring and incorporating advanced power and propulsion concepts into human spaceflight ar- architectures. Uh, a lot of really interesting things we're going to be talking about, but uh, Sunny White, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Hey, Ira. Yeah, thanks for asking me to be on your show. It's always a treat to get a chance to talk with folks about some of the stuff that we're we're trying to pursue and champion here at uh, Limitless Space Institute. So, you know, thank you for being a communicator that uh, tries to help uh, uh, engage with more people on some of these interesting topics. Uh, you know, I, I think you, you cover a broad array of things, right? So I <clears throat> imagine you find yourself having to be an expert on lots of different stuff, depending upon whether it's a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday and who you're talking to. I, I, I try my best. And, and, you know, one of the things I always look for uh, on the show, and not just the, the cutting edge, but really the bleeding edge and the people like yourself that are willing to take these risks uh, in 2022 for things that, you know, 
I don't know if we're going to happen in 2052 or 2082 or when things are going to be happening, but people that are really willing to take these risks today and say, this is the research that we have to do. And, and obviously, you know, you're right at the top of that list. So I'm so glad, Sonny, that, that, to have you here. Um, before we get into everything you're doing uh, and the company and, your, and, and, and all the research, um, take a little time, if you would, just to talk about yourself. I mean, I read a you know, bio and obviously all the awards and cool stuff you're right. doing. Where did you grow, where did you grow up? Uh, you know, what would, you know, what was your childhood like? Were you always interested right. in, in space and, and, and the frontiers? Uh, Star Trek fan, Star Wars fan. Right. Take sure. us to the beginning. Yeah, what, what's the what's the people aspect of things, right? Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, my dad was in the military, so I've lived all over the U.S. Um, but I, I spent a large portion of my my young life uh, in and around Washington D.C. Uh, grew up in uh, uh, Loudoun County, Virginia, if you will. Um, and spent a lot of time uh, going to the National Air and Space Smithsonian in D.C., right there on the mall. This is before, I think, Udvar Hazy was actually there. This is back in the, uh, the mid to late 80s. Um, so I got plenty of opportunity to go to this beautiful museum that had all these amazing um, um, examples and illustrations of people accomplishing amazing things and overcoming all kinds of obstacles. And, you know, it's... it's uh, it, it's it's not interesting just from the standpoint, you know, you're looking at the X-15 or you're looking at the, the lunar module uh, landed on the surface of the moon or some of the capsules that went to space. It's when you read into the, the people that were involved in these things in terms of working together and some of the things they had to do. I mean, that really, to me, it was that aspect as well that really helped me connect uh, in terms of the, a love and appreciation for kind of the pushing the boundaries of knowledge in this in this specific way and in, the, in this specific area, so I, I think that that set the bit for me uh, very early on. And I was always going to have a healthy interest in in, in things that fly and, and try and, and defy gravity and, and go to other planets. Uh, and certainly, you know, TV shows and movies those all influenced me just like they did anybody else. And, and uh, I I personally remember growing up uh, not at least not when they were first aired, but in syndication, the Star Trek TV show. Uh, I remember growing up with that, and I think the, the next generation was towards uh, or early part of my, my college uh, college days. So uh, I think those always colored my thoughts in terms of what might be possible and give a little bit of a hopeful vision for what a, a future could be uh, at some point in time. So, you know, I, I always had a healthy love for uh, technology and engineering, even independent of that. I was much to my parents' chagrin, always disassembling stuff. Uh, uh, not always successful at reassembling it, but you know, that's part of, I guess, the discovery process of uh, trying to explore things uh, in your world around you. Um, so I think I've always known I was going to be an engineer, but uh, also had a very healthy interest in science. And so, mm -hmm. you know, when you were going through the, the educational experience, I, I started off in engineering uh, and then later on switched over to physics. So I have a master's in mechanical engineering, a PhD in physics, right? So I have a love for, for both uh, engineering and physics. And, and so to me, science is also extremely interesting in understanding how, to, how, does, uh, how does the star, how does our star work? How does our, how does our solar system form? Uh, general relativity, plasma physics, all those things are just fascinating. So um, yeah, that's, I think that's a, uh, it's kind of a quick synopsis of what makes me tick, right? So. Absolutely. No, abso absolutely. And, and you know, 
as we were we were chatting um, offline a bit, and and you know, was doing you know, reading into Limitless Space Institute, you know, I saw a lot of parallels. You know, I, I, as you know, I come out of the pharmaceutical industry, and a lot of uh, what we've worked on in the past, uh, whether they're you know small molecule drugs or protein therapeutics or whatever, uh, they got a long time before they ever get to to the market, and they start with an idea, and, and they may work and they may not, um, but you got to work on them. And I saw you know a lot of similar parallels, even more so in what you're doing. Um, talk just a little bit before we get into sort of the science of, of, of warp bubbles and, 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 and some of the, the really futuristic concepts. Just walk us through a little bit about the history of the Limitless Space Institute, when it was set up, uh, who initially sort of funded it. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I was looking at, you know, for instance, your advisory board, you got people like Pete Worden from the Breakthrough Prize, you got uh, Anusa Ansari, X Prize, uh, Clint Crozier, who used to be at Space Force. Uh, a really a nice who's who of, um, <laughs> of space tech uh, involved with your group. Uh, talk to you what, what, what that was like also setting all of that up and how you brought all these great minds together. Yeah, that's a, a great question, Ira. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, so Limitless Space Institute is a 501c3. We're a nonprofit. Uh, we were kind of, uh, uh, you know, gaveled that by the IRS in uh, uh, 2020. Um, I joined Limitless Space Institute in uh, 2019, uh, the, the, the very tail end of 2019. Uh, Brian B.K. Kelly had contacted me while I was still at NASA and asked me, uh, he wanted to chat with me about some uh, opportunities that he, that he had. And so came over and, and we talked about, uh, at the time, the seedling formation of uh, Limitless Space Institute. And, and Brian B.K. Kelly is our, our president. Um, he, you know, he worked for NASA for a very, very long time. He was mm -hmm. head of the uh, flight operations directorate. So uh, he picked the astronauts and the crews that went to, to space. Uh, a very uh, amazing human being, uh, accomplished an, an enormous amount of uh, incredible things with his long and storied career at, uh, at NASA. Um, and uh, our, our benefactor is uh, Cam Gaffarian. Uh, he is a uh, co-founder of a, no a number of other for-profit commercial companies. You might have heard of some of those. Uh, Axiom Space is, is one that's working on a commercial space station. Yep. Intuitive Machines is working on the com commercial uh, cargo lunar lander. Uh, X Energy is a, a nuclear reactor company. Uh, and he has a number of other things that he's interested in. Uh, he's very much a kind of a, a renaissance guy, very interested in trying to uh, champion the uh, technologies and ideas that help make for, uh, you know, a better world for us for today and, and tomorrow and so forth. Um, so it was, um, yeah, after a lot of thought and prayer, it seemed like a really great opportunity to uh, lean into something that I've always been passionate about as, as we were talking about my interest in space. I'm very, very interested in power and propulsion. A lot of my career at NASA has been has uh, uh, revolved very, very closely around that particular uh, topic. And so the Limitless Space Institute, in the, in the process of kind of thinking about who and, and what Limitless Space Institute is, you know, our, our mission statement, I think, really distills it down to a coffee cup worthy type of statement. Our mission is to inspire and educate the next generation to travel beyond our solar system mm -hmm. and to support and develop, uh, uh, support the research and development of enabling technologies. Right, uh, and so that is a uh, that is a very uh, challenging mission um, in terms of uh, uh, inspiring, educate the next generation of travel beyond our solar system. I mean, think about that for a second. Uh, when we think about space exploration today, right, we are working to put uh, human beings back on the surface of the moon in the next few years. Um, we have a rover that's sitting on the surface of Mars with a little um, 
a drone that's keeping it uh, company. And those are amazing accomplishments. And that's uh, typically what might come to people's minds when they think about space exploration. Um, but if you talk about sending a human being to the outer solar system um, or, or further, uh, if you wanted to send uh, human beings to, say, a Saturn in 200 days, um, the amount of energy that's necessary to make something like that possible is an order of magnitude more energy than it takes to get a payload from the surface of the Earth to low Earth orbit. Uh, so all that to say chemical propulsion is, is not going to close that kind of objective. We have, to, we have to try something different. We have to do something. So if chemical propulsion can't do it, then, then what do we do? Right? What's, what's a potential solution? So uh, a, a very a, 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 a distillation of a fairly complicated topic into just a, a few major brushstrokes uh, is the following. Uh, if you want to think about how we might try and tackle that, starting from what we know and then working to what we don't know. Um, within the context of what we know in terms of engineering and physics, uh, we could use nuclear electric propulsion, uh, where we would have a, a nuclear reactor that's uh, fissioning uranium, providing power to some form of electric propulsion that's ionizing a gas. And this type of an architecture could send human beings to every destination in the solar system. Uh, and so that's uh, is, you know, well explored in, the, in literature, well understood. Uh, and that's something we could do today if, if we decided to. And that would give us the, the, the solar system, if you will. But that won't necessarily do a good job on interstellar. That still might take a thousand years to do something like that. Uh, for interstellar, in maybe a hundred year type of time frame or, or several decades at a minimum, uh, we would turn to fusion propulsion. So kind of moving a little bit into the unknown on the engineering side. Still, We still understand the physics. Uh, fusion propulsion uh, could potentially allow us to send a large payload to another star system uh, in, say, 100 years. Um, but what if we wanted to uh, do uh, an interstellar mission in a fraction of a human lifetime? That's kind of where we have to look to the frontiers of physics as well, right? So we've got mm -hmm. general relativity and quantum mechanics kind of uh, articulate what we know of the world from the microscopic to the macroscopic. Uh, but those two theories are not compatible. So we, we know that we have yet to develop some kind of a generalized understanding. And so in the process of exploring those frontiers, uh, maybe we can find new ways of doing things. Um, you know, we, we know the idea of the space warp is mathematically possible, but what do we build to make it uh, manifest in real? So in the process of working on the frontiers of physics, maybe we can help better understand what that, that might need to look like, right? So those are some, so th that kind of frames our view of the trade space. There's lots of different things one could talk about, but that's just a, a good way to uh, highlight some of the major uh, things to think about. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Limitless Space Institute, how do we kind of map that, that mission and vision into, into action, if you will? We are a doing organization. Uh, we do research internally through Eagle Works. We're currently funded by DARPA Defense Science Office sure. on, on some uh, uh, interesting things we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, we also fund research externally. We, we uh, stood up a program in the summer of 2020 called Interstellar Initiative Grants. Uh, we asked for proposals from all over the globe, and we picked uh, nine uh, groups from different universities all over uh, to fund things ranging from beamed energy propulsion, uh, relativistic solar sails. We did four uh, teams that are working on fusion propulsion. We did two that are working on space drives, uh, and one that was uh, one that's working on traversable wormholes. Uh, in addition to that, we um, we commissioned a, a summer class this past summer that we uh, we did in partnership with. The Initiative for Interstellar Studies, a week-long class on interstellar uh, engineering, physics topics, and so forth. Uh, we'll probably teach it again in, in 2022. 
Um, <clears throat> we'll also be standing up some programs um, this, uh, this next year in 2022, um, Limitless Space Institute fellowships. We'll also do scholarships uh, and something we'll call lab boosters. We might be able to uh, fund some small things down at the high school level uh, as well. So definitely a, a doing organization trying to, I guess, you know, put rubber to the road in, in lots of different areas uh, and continue to, to foster advocation for uh, this domain and, and uh, feed the community because there's a, there's a hungry community out there that wants to think about and work in this domain. And so we're trying to do our part to help move the, move the ball down the field. So, mm -hmm. and as you said, you know, we're, we're surrounded by a bunch of uh, very bright and amazing people. Uh, both internally at LSI and then our, our advisory board and some of the um, amazing people that we have there. Uh, and we've, we've got some good working partnerships with, with organizations, uh, including uh, Breakthrough Initiatives. Uh, we have uh, formal engagements with over 20 different uh, entities. Uh, mm -hmm. we've, uh, we've put on contract, if you will, just in our brief two years worth of uh, existence. And we, we have several more in work and we'll continue to try and make a difference. So. Excellent. Excellent. And, you know, you, you mentioned um, amongst your, your your funders or your partners is DARPA. And, and I've, I've done episodes in the past with DARPA uh, folks from there. And, you know, one of the um, interesting things I remember, actually, I had um, uh, Dr. Jeff Ling uh, on the show last year. Uh, he was the former head of the, um, the DARPA's Biologic Technology Office. And, you know, he, he was sort of laying things out at the time in our discussion. He was like, you know, you might go to a, a venture capitalist and they'll spend all this time doing due diligence and looking at a, a bunch of stuff that doesn't mean anything uh, before they put money into you. And, and, and DARPA's model, the way he's, he's come to say, the first thing we ask, is this cool? And if it is cool, <laughs> we will find out how to get it funded and put really good minds on it, albeit for five years and they got to move on to something else. But is it cool? And I got to tell you what you're doing is cool. And, uh, you know, but, you know, at all ends of the spectrum. Um, and me being a biologic guy, I, I, uh, <laughs> I say that. Talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm saying about your DARPA relationship, but the, the need for some of these new models, uh, DARPA-like models, models that mimic what DARPA does in our exploration of the unknown in these cutting edge areas, because you know, a lot of traditional investors just don't touch this stuff. Um, right. Talk a little bit about how you see, specifically in, in space tech, or, or I don't know if I'm, if I'm classifying this right as, as space tech or beyond space tech, but the importance mm -hmm. of some of these unique funding uh, innovation models for what you're trying to do. Well, it, yeah, no, thank you for the narrative there, right? Uh, it, a lot of for-profit entities are going to uh, focus any type of um, uh, research and development that they that they conduct internally using uh, internal resources on something that has a very low risk in terms of trying to result in a product that they can then uh, maybe move forward with. And, and of course, the, the risk posture is also, the, uh, I guess, uh, dependent upon how much revenue something could potentially generate. So risk posture in you know medicine and pharmaceuticals, for example, your area, uh, there's lots of stuff that, that that gets done that doesn't necessarily pan out. Right. A handful of things that pan out, they can they can bring in a lot of revenue, if you will. Right. Uh, so risk posture in, in in one industry might be different from another, uh, sure. and so aerospace tends to be uh, very calculated on on risk, uh, and so um, resources that get put into kind of that seed corn kind of research, if you will, sprinkling the initial seeds and trying to water it and see if you can get it to grow up. 
the, the for-profit entities tend to be very reserved on what they yeah. can do and what they're willing to do. And, and, and I understand that, right? Uh, that's just, a, I guess, a, a function of, of the industry. Um, but m- municipal organizations have a little bit more flexibility, right? Uh, and so um, even, you know, NASA has uh, something called the called NIAC um, that they yep. use to fund very low TRL stuff. But even that kind of has a threshold that, that it's very mindful of as well, number one. Number two, NIAC's also a very broad um, category. They fund anything from all different disciplines, right? We, we, we're very focused on the, the, the power propulsion regime. Now, the, the interesting thing about DARPA, right, you know, DARPA has... Um, uh, through the through the defense science office, uh, they can fund basic research. Right, mm-hmm. uh, they can go yep. all the way down to, hey, we just want you guys to, to think about the, this, that, or the other, and how that might uh, uh, maybe shift over into the category of applied and, and help us uh, avoid uh, uh, surprise, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that allows them to be very aggressive. And, and I've always had a healthy respect for the the DARPA model. Right, they they move very quickly. Right, uh, uh, they. If, if, if something seems like it might be interesting, they're willing to take the risks, uh, put in some resources into it, go through a due diligence and, uh, uh, and then look at it at some, after some period of time and, and say, hey, we like that, we like that, we didn't like that. So then they, they, can, uh, they can accomplish a lot uh, mm-hmm. with minimal amount of resources. And they, have a, they also have, I think, a good model with, with the management uh, process that they use in terms of DARPA PMs rolling in and off, uh, in and out every uh, like five years or something like that. So that, that keeps the organization vibrant and fresh and moving. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, the stuff that we're trying to champion uh, at, uh, at LSI definitely falls into the category of low TRL uh, at a minimum. And in some sure. cases, we're very much on the frontiers of science, right? Sure. Uh, uh, trying to figure out um, uh, what's beyond the, the two standard models of the microscopic and the macroscopic world. Right. I mean, that is basic research. Right. And so and it requires people thinking about those those types of things to be able to make progress. So excellent. Excellent. Sonny, last week, um, uh, you know, a lot of activity in uh, the press about, you know, mentioning things, uh, warp bubbles and Mm -hmm. accidental discovery, warp bubbles and so forth. Mm -hmm. Once again, Nothing confidential here, but uh, talk a little bit about you know what you're discovering, what you've discovered, what you haven't discovered yet. I know you, you, know, yeah. you haven't you haven't found warp speed yet. Scotty, I need warp speed, or we'll be dead. But uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about what the, this particular news was all about, and, and uh, uh, right, no, that's uh, yeah. In, in ter- so the work we're currently doing for DARPA Defense Science Office is um, uh, we are working on a kind of a again that. Um, that frontiers of physics type of mindset, filling in the gap between <clears throat> general relativity and quantum mechanics, if you will. Yep. Uh, we're exploring a model we call our dynamic vacuum model. We had, uh, we had done some previous work with DARPA when I was at NASA uh, to develop uh, and explore the model, both in the lab and, and uh, theoretically. Um, in, the, in, in that case, we were studying how it pertains to uh, modeling uh, uh, individual atoms. Um, and so part of what we're doing now with, uh, with DARPA DSO is we're uh, taking those physics models and we're applying them to some microscopic, nanoscopic structures uh, that we're, we're learning how to make uh, at the same time we're working on physics models, uh, where we can try and predict how we think the, the quantum vacuum uh, might respond to the presence of these, these, uh, these microscopic and, and nanoscale structures. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the specific applications that we're trying to explore may have some implications for 
uh, small but mo uh, sorry, uh, modest but persistent uh, amounts of power. Uh, there may be the ability to generate uh, a propulsive force, and so maybe it'll have an application as a, uh, some kind of a space drive or a thruster. Um, there may be some implications for communications um, and sensor systems. Um, so now, switching gears a little bit in the process of kind of exploring how uh, the quantum vacuum responds to these structures, that's where the, the term accidental discovery kind of comes to mind. Uh, uh, we were exploring some uh, custom Casimir cavities that we were building that I'm going to use some hand puppets. Maybe hopefully this will communicate well over, over Zoom. <laughs> sure. um, uh, we, were, we were exploring some custom Casimir cavities where we have uh, two plates that are you know, very close to one another. And then we have three, three pillars that are in between those, those plates. And we were studying how the quantum vacuum responds around where the pillar is in between the two plates. And in the process of looking at like a two-dimensional section cut of this negative vacuum energy density distribution, it was uh, these two uh, lenticular types of uh, uh, regions that had extremely uh, uh, large magnitude negative vacuum energy density. And so based on work I've done previously in the idea of a space war, I was looking at those, those distributions and saying, that kind of, kind of looks like what we might need for the idea of a space war. I wonder if we were to try and be more purposeful about how we structure the topology, could we, could we get this really close? And so we, uh, we went through the, uh, the process of modeling a, um, a one micrometer diameter sphere uh, surrounded by a four micrometer diameter cylinder. Uh, and in the process of doing that, we, we were able to show that this, uh, this uh, very tiny structure will manifest a toroidal ring of negative vacuum energy density that uh, uh, basically matches the requirements for the Okubia warp metric. Uh, yeah. uh, so the Okubia warp metric is a, a metric that's kind of uh, uh, comes out of the, the, the formalism of general relativity, and it's a way to kind of um, uh, capture the idea of being able to go to another star system in, in say, months as mm -hmm. opposed to mm -hmm. uh, decades. Uh, and so when you when you look at what that uh, that that specific model requires, it requires this, this toroid a ring of negative vacuum energy density around the central portion of the spacecraft. And so uh, when we compare those topologies uh, to one another, uh, it was a match, right? And so mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what we published in our paper that was a little bit in the press in, in uh, EPJC, uh, we said that um, we have uh, discovered a, a nanoscale structure mm -hmm. uh, that we can propose to the community that one can make and if we make it, it's going to cause the quantum vacuum to respond in such a way that it will generate this, this ring of negative vacuum energy density such that it will uh, manifest a, a nanoscale warp bubble, not, a, not an analog, right? Uh, sure. I, I, use that, I use that parlance real and analog for the following reason. Uh, there's, you know, people do work with, with things like analogs for black holes, if you will, acoustical black holes, where we study stuff in the lab. Uh, that has characteristics that kind of look like the math and physics we see with, with black holes, but with, with sound waves instead. And so it's not really a black hole, it's just an analog, right? So, yeah, sure, sure. so that's, why I, that, that's why I think the specific choice of the word uh, real in the literature to make sure we're, we're, we're not uh, confusing the physics community with what we're saying. So Sure, absolutely. And... It, it, it sounds completely fascinating to me. Most of it's over my head, and I apologize for that. But I, I, I take my once again, I'm taking my hat off to all of you for for focusing on this type of research in 2022 as we enter 2022. Um, take us, if you would, um, you know, one of the the things I always like to 
to go into uh, on shows, especially in, in some of these domains, which are sort of a little outside of my experience in life sciences, is, is alternative uses. And in a case, in, you know, I, I did this show uh, a few months ago with uh, Dr. David Stout at Booz Allen, who runs their directed energy program. And why was I doing directed energy? Why well, laser beams are just cool. Uh, and, and I'm a Star Trek fan and I like phasers and all sorts of stuff like that. But, you know, I ask the question, you know, what can you do with these things ultimately before we make a, a spaceship that shoots laser beams? Uh, you know, can we use these laser beams to drill the deeper than we've ever drilled before or do certain things with the industrial many processing? Uh, can we make little laser beam guns? You don't have to shoot bullets. <laughs> right, <laughs> and right, so right, Whatever. Right, I ask right. all the, so, the right. typical cool Because who cool, doesn't cool want question. that? Right? Yeah, who doesn't want that stuff? Anyway, uh, take us just on a little walk for, for those that are unfamiliar. What potentially could toroidal rings of negative vacuum energy density do before you get the warp drive going? Uh, potentially in, in the coming years or decades here. Well, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, what is, is, is there some kind of a, a roadmap or a progression or yep. uh, crawl, walk, run type of a thought process for, for some of these yep. uh, concepts and ideas? Right? And uh, so in, in terms of the stuff that we were looking at uh, and we talked about in the EBJC paper, one of the things that, that uh, we've been thinking about is there's optical implications for this, right? Uh, yep. there, there will be, optical properties of those systems. Um, could you potentially uh, study the, the impact that those types of structures might have on light? Um, mm -hmm. You could view them as like a, like a broadband uh, metamaterial. Uh, oftentimes, metamaterials are, are kind of constrained to you know, specific uh, frequency bands, if you will, uh, whereas this might be a little bit more broadband uh, metamaterial. Um, maybe it could have an impact on gases that one might flow through it. Maybe it could change absorption, absorption spectrum or something. Uh, I don't know. And even going back to um, some of the stuff I talked about for the custom casmer cavity, the, 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 the physics is all connected, if you will. Um, some of the stuff we're looking at with the, the custom casmer cavities, uh, you know, to me, communications might be a really interesting uh, application uh, long before it ever has some of the space stuff that we, we'd like to think about. Um, in, in some of the work that we did for the, the DARPA work that was funded back when I was at NASA, you know, we, we studied how the atomic structure of atoms, uh, these, they're potentially uh, manifestations of acoustic resonances in the quantum vacuum, uh, longitudinal wave. If you, I don't mean to say it's something you hear, it's just a, it's a longitudinal wave resonance around the, the atom. Uh, and so that suggests that the quantum vacuum can manifest and sustain longitudinal waves. And that's a different form of, of radiation. And so uh, uh, what would that do if you had a, a transmitter or a receiver that could transmit or receive these longitudinal waves? Well, that might be a new, a new form of communication that you could equip cell phones with, for example. Mm -hmm. And maybe you'd have a, 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 a cell phone that uh, when you get into an elevator and the door closes, you don't lose a signal, right? Nice. The, the longitudinal waves would, uh, would not be uh, bothered by the fact that there's this uh, metal enclosure around, or you know, what if you were uh, in a car in the LA area or something? So all these little hills and valleys, and when you go down into a valley, maybe ordinarily you might have some issues with, with cell phone coverage, but with a, a system that used longitudinal waves to transmit back and forth, it could go through large, uh, large swaths of dense material, and the signals would not be attenuated. Uh, mm -hmm. So there could be some communication implications long before the space stuff that we, we think about. Um, longitudinal waves as a, a sensor system, right? The, it'll be able to see things that we, we currently, currently cannot see with you know, electromagnetic radiation, whether it's 
uh, RF, X-rays, uh, anything that falls in that category, longitudinal waves will see things that uh, uh, transverse electromagnetic waves will not be able to see. So who knows what that might do for us in terms of can we see things in the human body in a different way uh, that might be useful to us and, and for any, any myriad of purposes, primarily probably related to health. Um, you know, maybe there could be lots of things where, where that would be brought to bear uh, and help us long before we would really get it to a point that we might use it in space. So there, there might be a lot of neat um, waypoints along the way in, in the process of trying to mature and explore the idea. Uh, and, some, and in a lot of, in a lot of cases, those, those waypoints, would, they, they'll benefit us in the here and now. Yep. Right. Um, so I guess going back to the, you know, the accidental discovery, even right when we were just doing the, the work for DARPA DSO, you know, we accidentally discovered this connection with the idea of the space program. So anyway. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, hearing about the alternative, the short term possibilities. But then, yeah, I mean. I, I'm joking offline with you that that elevator phone <laughs> that's worth uh, that's worth trillions of dollars I think right away. So I'm, I'm, that, that's <laughs> we'll put that to, to to use right away. Right. Exactly. So. Exactly. Um, but that being said, um, you know, you, so you have you know your, your PhD in physics. Um, obviously, you know we need. Uh, you're a young guy. I'm a young guy. But time's moving on. We need this, uh, but you're setting things up for for all generations that come after you because this is a you know, there's there's things that work today. There's things that are going to be working 20 years from now based on this type of research. Um, talk about the next generation uh, a little bit, and what you know if 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 tomorrow you know it, it a 50 trillion dollars materialized in, in limited space institutes bank account, you need to do any all the research you want. What are you looking for uh, in terms of the, you know, the next generation of physicists and engineers and so forth to come along? What will your team look like uh, that works on sort of the, well, the translation of these projects uh, in, in the next decade or two? Uh, inspire that next generation of folks that you want to get into STEM that are thinking of getting into investment banking instead right now. <laughs> or law. But, yeah. Right, 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 right. Um, you know, I think... Uh, it's it's important for us to work together in the here and now, right? Uh, there's there's you know there's value in, in being a member of a team uh, and where you have multiple perspectives, you, know, you tend to be uh, more capable than, than an individual uh, might be. So there's there's value in working together in the in the here and now. But I think it's also important, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to remember we have to be able to work together, you know, across generations. Uh, if you will, I think there's a lot of importance in that. And, and I'll come back to you were talking about specific numbers of size and scale, but there's a, there's a point I want to highlight here in terms of the, the, the value proposition moving forward in terms of us doing things together. Uh, I think uh, we need to learn, we need to remember it's really important to do things together over time. If you think about some of the things we've accomplished in the past with that type of a mindset, you know, think about the, I, I so in, the, in this past summer, I uh, taught some uh, uh, classes at the International Space University in Strasbourg in France. Uh, and uh, during some of the off days, got a chance to go into uh, Strasbourg and go tour the uh, Strasbourg Cathedral. And so the Strasbourg Cathedral, uh, they started building that thing in like 1100 AD. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did not finish that uh, until the 1700s. So all that to say, I mean, the, the people that built the the basement, I mean, they, they never saw the rest of the, the cathedral 
get built, but they knew they had to do their part building the foundation so that the next generation could come along and they could build the walls. And the next generation could come along and maybe they could build the gussets and, and so forth until 700 years goes by. And then this, uh, this beautiful thing is, uh, is there in Strasbourg. Uh, and so I, I think in a day and age where we get uh, a little irritated when we text somebody and they don't text us back in, uh, <laughs> in five minutes, uh, we need to learn there's a lot of value in that type of uh, mindset uh, and philosophy. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think one of the things I really hope to see is, is uh, you know, uh, inspire and educate the next generation. But that's this continuing thing that we, we continue to, to try and work together both in the here and now and, and across generations to accomplish these things. And I, I have no idea when and if these types of things would, would become possible, but I know what I need to be doing now. Because, you know, that, I that's one of the questions, the most common questions I get is, hey, when are we, we going to have warp drive? I, I don't know, but I know what I need to be doing right now. There's a specific work that we can be doing in the lab right now. Yep. And so, uh, you know, it, it's, to, to me, it's like if, if this stuff really stirs your soul and gets you excited, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, multidisciplinary problem. There's lots of aspects and, and areas of exploration. It's kind of an all hands on deck thing too, right? This, yep. is, a, this is a monumental problem and a monumental uh, uh, challenge. Uh, and the cool thing is in the process of trying to reduce some of these grand visions to, to reality, I mean, we're gonna end up with power systems uh, that we probably couldn't even imagine today that will obviously improve the quality of life here on the planet. We'll learn how to be more effective at um, you know, uh, not generating waste, right? Uh, uh, trying to uh, do a better job of, of taking care of the, the environment. Uh, and you know, one of the things I always like to think about is the whole concept of scarcity. Well, we, we have an entire solar system yep. full of stuff, resources and so forth. And uh, uh, having a, a solar system wide community and culture uh, I mean, that would, that would potentially change the, the very definition of scarcity for us uh, as, a, as a species as well, right? So I think it's, um, it's one of those things that uh, in the process of trying to chase these uh, amazing hopes and dreams and aspirations, I mean, they could really make life better for us uh, here on Earth, right? I mean, yep. this, I, I think that's, so there's no question that uh, that would be an outcome of pursuit of these types of things, so all hands on deck, come join us, we need help, right? So. Absolutely, absolutely. And if I had the skills, I'd come join you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so yeah, continuing along that line with the $50 trillion you have in the bank, um, if, 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 you, if the warp speed was to miraculously materialize in, in 2026 or whenever uh, with the money that we give you, uh, where where, do, where does Doctor uh, Harold Sunny White want to? What do you? If I could send you anywhere in in the cosmos today uh, to check things out, you'll be safe and everything with the uh, with all the, the 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 right bells and whistles associated with this unique spacecraft. But uh, where where do you want to explore in the cosmos? Just the, the rings oh. of Saturn, Andromeda. Where do you want to go? Um. The Oort cloud, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff that's coming out of exoplanets. Right? I mean, think about uh, all the stuff that uh, we've been able to discover. Uh, a whole bunch of stars in proximity to our star have all kinds of planets around them. A number of those um, are located in in regions that we would we would kind of consider 
uh, habitable, if you will. Um, I think there's like an actual quotient uh, that they use to identify those. But um, uh, there's a number of planets that are around stars. You know, even I think Proxima Centauri, Proxima Centauri B uh, is an exoplanet that's potentially in a habitable zone around uh, Proxima Centauri. Um, I think there's some speculation that Alpha, one, I, I don't know if it's Alpha Cent A or Alpha Cent B has an exoplanet that's potentially in a habitable zone. I, I would speculate they'll probably eventually find uh, lots of these stars all have the planets in the, the habitable zone. So there's probably no shortage of interesting places to, to go see if we had the capability to, to go there uh, in person, if you will. Um, you know, in, in, in terms of, I think you maybe asked this in an earlier question, where would I like to see resources put in terms of uh, uh, different different areas for, for research? <clears throat> and I, you know, I'll, uh, I'll go back to the kind of that um, the three swim lane view that I gave you on ways to try and enable <clears throat> the ability to send human beings to the outer solar system and beyond. Um, <clears throat> if you look at our portfolio now, it kind of matches that as well. We're you know we we're putting resources in uh, nuclear electric propulsion. We have a university partnership with. Uh, Texas A&M, we're funding them to, 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 to do a, a very detailed paper design on a, a micronuclear reactor that generates uh, uh, one megawatt electric of power. Um, <clears throat> we're funding a, a number of researchers that are working in that, that fusion uh, propulsion range. Mm -hmm. And then we have a, a, a number of folks that are also working in that, uh, I call it the breakthrough uh, category, the frontiers of physics. <clears throat> So in my mind, I think uh, I think in terms of to bringing resources to bear, if we had even more resources, we would continue to do the same thing we're doing today. Uh, we put a, as, as a if you think of it like as a portfolio, if you sure. we're putting resources in, in each of those uh, categories, if you will, it's kind of a balanced portfolio. Maybe a little bit more towards the the fusion and breakthrough, <clears throat> because there's there are already municipal government organizations that are bringing money to bear for the nuclear sure. uh, reactor domain, but. The, the fusion and breakthrough are the area where there's probably the greatest need. Uh, and so that's where if we had the increased revenue uh, from multiple sources, let's say it's like a public-private partnership, for example, yep. uh, maybe we have some opportunity in the future where we can, we can partner together and, and uh, do try and champion some work in this area. And that, then it would be something where we would try and continue to, to augment the resources that we're putting into those specific uh, research categories. Got it. Got it. Well, I have to say, I, I hope that, uh, you know, your your research budget becomes limitless because I mean, <laughs> the, the stuff you're working on is just so impressive. And, and the fact that, you know, not only you work on it, but, you know, you, you put together the team to bring these ideas to bear. I think it's, you know, we need more and more of this in, in today's world um, on all fronts, whether they be space tech, biotech, uh, environmental tech, what have you. So, I, I mean, it, I, I take my hat off to you for everything that you're you're trying to achieve there. Um, any final messages for the audience? Anything that I didn't touch on, Sonny, that you wanted to mention? Please uh, give you the floor on the way out. Um, yeah, no, I, I think uh, in terms of uh, anything that, uh, uh, that's uh, in the press, I think they've, done, they've tried to do a pretty good job of pointing to some of our, our published papers, uh, number one. So, uh, and we, we try anything that we publish, we try to do as uh, uh, open source to make sure people can get directly to uh, the information themselves and, and uh, explore it and think about it. Um, I, I do want to maybe highlight one more thing. Sure. It's part of our interstellar initiative grants, the work we're doing there. Right. Um, we, um, we conducted those uh, research grants where we recorded the kickoff meeting, the midterm meeting, and the final meeting through a, uh, like a Zoom webinar. 
uh, and we, we, so we broadcast that so everybody could watch it, uh, that, uh, whether they watch it through the Zoom webinar or through our YouTube channel. And then we, we, we put the recording proceedings onto our YouTube channel. So if anyone wants to go look at the things that we funded uh, under Interstellar Initiative Grants, go to, you, got, you can Google uh, Limitless Space YouTube. That'll take you to our YouTube channel. And you can find all those proceedings. The recordings are bookmarked. Uh, mm -hmm. with chapters for the different investigators and their presentations. And so, you know, even though it might be like an eight hour long video, you can still just look at whichever segment you want uh, as you need to. So uh, lots of good material already out there. We're going to continue to grow it uh, over the, the coming years. Um, and so be looking for the Interstellar Initiative Grants. The second biennial cycle, we'll be putting something out uh, probably in the May, May time frame. Awesome. Awesome. And we will put links to to all of that uh, in the bio to the show when it when it goes live. So, um, really great um, for uh, for everybody that's going to be listening to this particular episode uh, across the podcast networks or watching on the YouTube channel. Uh, you've been listening to Dr. Harold Sunny White. Director, Advanced Research and Development, Limitless Space Institute uh, down in Houston, Texas. Uh, Sonny, I, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to, to come educate us on these topics. Um, thanks for everything that you're doing there and continue to do. And as we say on this show, thanks for helping to make tomorrow a better place. Um, really fascinating uh, program, and I wish you the best with it. Okay. Uh, thank you, Ira. I appreciate it. Godspeed. Godspeed. <laughs>